0: In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy. Hello, folks, and welcome to another a podcast of In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy. I am your host, Ryan Roxy. And today on the show, we have none other than Michael Sterto, yeah. guitarist. Welcome to
1: In the Trenches. It's great being here, man. I'm, uh, I'm honored to be on your podcast.
0: Well, I'm happy to have you and I'm happy for our listeners to hear more about you, hear some of the stories from In the Trenches and everything that's been going on with your career because we were talking right before we started recording and we both have a long history and we both have actually semi-crossed paths before because we have mutual friends and at one point we were actually supposed to get together and go through some ideas but It took a couple of years before we are talking face-to-face on on a podcast.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm glad to be here now. I'm glad we're we're doing it
0: now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, First thing thing off the bat, I mean, for those of you who's listening on the podcast, that's fine. Um, But if you are watching it on YouTube, you can see that Michael has a a lot of my favorite guitars, and apparently his favorite guitars, right behind him. I see a nice collection of Gibsons (laughs) and Les Pauls. And you've got the shirt on to prove it. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> custom shop guy. I love the custom shop. Yeah, I think they make them. As you well know, they make some of the best guitars, man.
0: Well, Michael, for those of you uh, out there that are listening, go, okay, Michael Sterto. I, I might've heard his name out there. Um, who's he played with? Who's he done? Well, probably one of the more iconic singers that you've played with over the years is Lou Graham. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, obviously leads uh, original lead singer of uh, foreigner uh, does lou grant how many years have you been associated with lou or were you associated with lou
1: um professionally uh playing in his band for uh, the past seven years ended at the end of last year uh, but prior to that i mean we grew up in the same uh town we went to the same high schools i mean i i literally i graduated several years after him of course he's a little bit older than me but I mean, our families crossed paths, we knew each other, you know, we were, he was aware of me, you know, as a guitarist. And ultimately, that's how I, I think that kind of led to the uh, ultimate uh, uh, end game, if you will, uh, of playing guitar for him for like seven years. So yeah, it was really, it's really cool, really cool uh, story. I mean, going to the same high school, knowing that he was the guy, you know, uh, from our town that made it big, really big. And, uh, yeah. you know. Getting to, getting to play with him. I mean, I remember when his first solo record came out, Ready or Not, I went to this uh, really famous music store here in Rochester, you're probably aware of the House of Guitars. And, of course,
0: uh, yeah. The House of Guitars in Rochester. That's what, like, whenever you're on the East Coast, there's yeah. kind of like a radar that points you up in that direction.
1: Exactly. You know? yeah. So I went to a <laughs> store and had his first album. It was actually on vinyl, had, signed by him, um, his brother, and uh, another guitar player that played on the record. And uh, it was really cool because 25 years later uh from that release of that record he released a book and i was actually playing guitar for him so i got to do that in store when we did the the book release so it was really kind of uh kind of a cool situation you know look back and go 25 years ago i was sitting here you know getting my album signed as an aspiring you know musician is uh you know trying to jumpstart my career as a guitarist and now 25 years later i'm sitting next to the guy who you know, I've kind of followed his footsteps Wrote
0: those songs and wrote that, but, but it didn't start off like it was, okay, I'm the guitar player for the grab. I'm, I'm in, I've got the rest of my career sorted out. It, it started out much more like, wasn't it more of an audition, maybe one or two shows or how did
1: that all work out? Yeah. You know, he, he gave me a call. Um, I had played in cover bands around town and he was aware of the fact that I was pretty, uh, pretty familiar with his catalog. And, um, you know he he needed a, a fill and a sub for the guitar player that he had at the time who was one of my heroes growing up as well um another local guy and he said hey can you know he called me during dinner one time and it's funny too because you know as a family we, we try to eat dinner together you know being gone all the time when i'm home i want to be home with the family so when the phone rings you know like we're not answering the phone at dinner time but I looked at my cell phone and it said, you know, no caller ID. So I was like, oh, this has got to be one of those uh, phone solicitors. But I answered <laughs> it and I'll give him the business. You know, who the hell are you for calling me? I didn't, you know, <laughs> I picked it up and it was Lou, <laughs> you know, and I'm glad I picked it up because, you know, he basically said, hey, I, I, you know, I, are you available for like three or four shows? I need you to sub for the guy I got now who has some conflicts. And uh, if, if you're available, I'd like to uh, have you down on Monday or Tuesday of the following week to, to you know, kind of audition I want to hear you play with the band most of the band was from Rochester um, and he wanted to hear me play and uh, you know the rest is history he I I went down and and did my audition so to speak and you know he kind of pulled me in the control room of the studio and and asked me if I was interested in in joining the band because he liked the way it sounded so good and uh, it kind of worked out so.
0: Isn't it amazing isn't it pretty amazing the way that you know you, you're offered that shot, you're offered that chance, and it's only, maybe it's three or four shows, or, and that's your window, but you make the most of it, and how those few shows can actually help an entire career.
1: Oh, absolutely, and I, I think, you know, the, the key elements of that was being very familiar with the material and preparing and over-preparing, so when I went in there, I mean, knowing that it's an iconic catalog and an iconic singer— you know, it needs to be done the right way. So I really went in prepared and knew made sure I had my T's crossed and my I's dotted. And uh, you know, I went in I kinda went in for keeps in the back of my mind, not really knowing, you know, how it was gonna go. But, you know, I, I really wanted to go in there and kick ass and and and, and really be noticed. So it worked out. <laughs> That's
0: exactly the type of situation I was in with the Alice gig. I was promised, you know, a one-year tour. That was it. Ninety-six. they said, look, we're doing this tour with the Scorpions. It's across the U.S. We'll see how Alice feels afterwards. But that one tour with, you know, opening up for Scorpions and doing this co-headline tour led to him not taking a year off, and he's still going out in 2019. So, and talk about being prepared. I mean, I, 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 had, I think at that point I had tried to learn not just the – lead guitar parts i tried to learn every rhythm part and i tried to like in case that sort of situation would happen. so i think preparation is key
1: absolutely absolutely i mean my policy has always been over prepare if he wants you to learn five songs learn 10 if he wants you to learn you know just this record learn as many record many songs off as many records you can just in case he throws a curveball at you you know and 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 that worked out too because we'd be at soundcheck and not even know he was there yet, and we were playing stuff from the first album, like "The Damage Is Done" or something like that, just for, just to screw around. And you know that kind of sparked, you know, at war with the world. That kind of sparked them to go, you know, I want to add that to the set. It sounds really good. So it was really, really, really a benefit that I was, you know, that I was ambitious and, and went deep like that. So I would I would recommend anybody in that situation to do just that, you know.
0: And here's the thing. Every time during the podcast of In the Trenches and I get to talk to a lot of talented musicians and, you know, especially guitar players is my sort of forte of what I like to dive into your heads. Uh, it's I always ask what one secret ingredient or what one sort of golden ticket advice would you give to up and coming guitar players and other musicians? And I, I guess preparation is one of them. Do you have any other sort of things like something that you would. If you're starting to learn the instrument, if you're just starting your journey with guitar, that you would recommend a player learning or getting into a trick, a life hack, so to speak, uh, in order for them to, you know, advance themselves?
1: I think listening is really important, too. Listening to the content and the context of, of what you're trying to learn and really trying to, especially with these classic artists, these iconic artists, I always have said, and I've always took this approach, is that my job in there is to recreate the catalog, not to reinvent the catalog. So I really needed to listen. In the case of Lou, I needed to listen to Mick Jones and listen to how he voiced the chords. I had to listen really critically, not go in there with my interpretation or try to get close. I needed to get you know, as exact as I could without being that guy. I mean, as you well know, you and I could sit down and try to learn something, and we're still going to learn it with our own little identity our a little twist, but you still need to have you know, uh, uh, the, the, the whole context in there as close as possible and really try to make the artist that you're playing for, working for, feel comfortable in what they're singing and be able to be themselves for the reason why they are who they are and the reason why that, that band or catalog made them in, into the, who they are, if that makes any sense. So listening- No, it
0: makes a lot of sense that that's kind of the way it is with with Alice is that but the only difference is Alice has had like you know at least 20 different lineups with different albums that have all have something you know really valuable that they've contributed to each album so the the sort of challenge but also the thrill for us when we're learning a new Alice Cooper set is to try and get as close to the spirit of that lineup so so like the 70s original lineup sounded you know a bit different than the 80s lineups that Alice had but we try to recreate and sort of put and and then eventually put our own stamp on the new stuff so I I can imagine it must be the same thing when you were learning Lou Graham or or any situation you step in you want to learn but put your own stamp on it too
1: yeah exactly especially when you get the green light and you gain the artist's confidence and they do give you that 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 encouragement to say hey you know put a little bit of you into it which Lou told me a lot you know go ahead and take some liberties I mean he was never one of those guys who ruled with an iron fist I mean but I didn't go in there assuming that he was going to be loose like that but I ended end up I think he felt comfortable enough with me knowing that I respected uh his his material enough that you know he enjoyed it and said you know you know go ahead and and, and take some liberties but I was reluctant to do that because I I I don't. I don't want to hear things that way. Sometimes, you know, it all depends. I mean, I've seen your show, the Cooper show, Alice Cooper show. I saw you guys. um, The last time I saw you guys is when Motley was finishing. And I mean, with the three guitar approach, I mean, it's just. I mean, I personally, I thought you guys were. I thought it was a way better show than the Motley show. Appreciate uh, that, man. Yeah, you guys are great. I mean, you know, you guys do a really good job, and you have a real big challenge too because you have a broad spectrum of styles. You know, you have the, the Glenn Buxton and the and the Michael Bruce era. And then yeah. you have the Kane Roberts. Kane Roberts.
0: Yeah. But everybody knows of the of our three guitar lineup. Everyone knows sort of which role we're able to yeah. fill. Yeah. And that is the sort of uh, I guess is is one of the real benefits of having our three guitar player lineup with Tommy and and myself is that we not just have guitar left and guitar right. We have the overdub guitar as well. Yeah. So it, in that sense, we do get to recreate stuff, and yeah. So, I, like I said, I, I, I'm way excited about being up out on tour and starting a new set, and I want to talk about this summer. But I want to get inside because I think part of the uh, part of the sort of attraction of how you're getting these gigs and how you've been managed to work as as steady and as long as you have is that you use the right tools and i'm staring at these amazing looking guitars and back have you always been a gibson guy or have you always
1: oh, okay i ventured off a little bit here and there you know in the late 80s with the pointy guitar, the jackson Rhodes, the ibanez guitars you know a little bit but i've always gone back to a les paul i mean for me it just feels comfortable and uh like when i spoke to the people at gibson uh I remember telling uh, Henry Jeskowitz when, he when he was still owning the company. Um, I told him, I said, I defy you to do a Google search and see me without a Gibson Les Paul in my hand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. So yeah, I, I, I just really, really enjoy um, the, 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 the work that they do and how great they've treated me over my career. And uh, it's just a great, it's a great product. I really, really enjoy. it. And the do you have
0: one. a do you have a go-to Les Paul that is, is sort of your favorite, whether what, it's an older one or whether it's one of the newer ones.
1: Yeah, I, I have a 58 reissue that I really enjoy. Um, and I didn't actually get that from Gibson when I was teaching that came into the store and, um, the store I was teaching at knew that there was a rule that any Les Pauls that came in had to pass my first rate right of refusal. <laughs> and, uh, so this came in and it had a real beefy neck and I was a little bit intimidated because I was playing a, a standard from the nineties and it had a little bit of a sixties neck, slimmer neck. Yeah. And, uh, so I picked it up and brought it up to my teaching room, and it is a very thick profile baseball bat, 58 neck, totally 58 neck, early 58, almost like the gold top 57 into the 58. And um, I fell in love with it, and I haven't been able to turn back. I can't play the thin necks anymore. And uh, <laughs> I have that guitar. And then Gibson made me a 68 reissue in 2016 that I was down uh, in Nashville for vacation, visiting some friends. I think I was down for a wedding and i stopped to see steve christmas at the custom shop stopped at the custom shop of course a <laughs> stash of mahogany that he had you know and a really nice maple top with a nice figure but the goal with that was to not make a custom 68 custom not make a custom that was nine or ten pounds we kept it at eight and a half pounds he had a really nice piece of light mahogany and they kind of did the cosmetics like a 57 uh, a black beauty right. so it's it's more of a, of a 57 looking, but a 68 maple cap, mahogany body. But you keep it light. You kept it light enough. Really light, because man, I, as you know, man, some of those older Gipsons, I mean, your shoulder, you know, especially if you're playing a two-hour set. I mean, after a while, it doesn't seem like a lot, and you know, boohoo, us guitar players crying about it, but. <laughs> Guitar man really keeps my chiropractor in that uh, in, in business. In business, <laughs> well, the thing is,
0: for those of you that are listening to the podcast right now that are guitars, sort of especially Gibson aficionados, this is basically guitar porn we're talking about right now. This is this actually might you might have to sign a waiver if you're listening to this one because yeah, I, I like getting into the different years. And you know, for those that are listening, go, what's a 50s style neck versus a 60s? Well, 50s is that baseball bat thickness type of a neck, and then the '60s style is a much more slim tapered, yep. and that's that actually goes in trend with what the type of music uh, that was being played at that time. And and you can hear the difference of you know a faster playing started happening, a little bit more riffage, and then, you know, like guys like Eric Clapton, Jimmy Page, they were playing more of the '60s style where you know, but that 50, that '59. I don't know. I guess you got a couple of those 59 Les Paul's original laying around back there.
1: No, the original, <laughs> but I do have a, uh, an R9 uh, reverse Chevron. that's pretty, pretty badass. And I picked, believe it or not, I think that the Heritage 80 series, remember that that era they came out? It was their first reissue, first attempt at reissuing 59s with the Tim Shaw pickups. I picked yes. one up. I think it. I haven't been able to confirm this or not, but somebody painted it black, but it started to wear and there's a sunburst finish underneath it. I don't know if that was something they did at the factory as, as a second or something, but I picked it up at a pawn shop for like 300 bucks. And uh, the guy really didn't know what he had. And it's got the original chainsaw case, you know, the the plastic molded case and the the score was those Tim Shaw humbuckers. And and that thing is amazing. And uh, I got that in storage right now because I'm afraid to take that out. You know, I don't want to, you know, it's, it's a great guitar, sounds great, real dark, it's
0: nice. I think it's pretty amazing that you have an actual pawn shop guitar, like success story because yeah. there's so many of us, you know, when we're on the road, we're, we're looking at these pawn shops. But they, you know, let's be honest. I mean, they've been combed through. You know, it's like it's like the old guy on the beach, you know, in Florida Beach, with wearing a thong and a metal That's detector. Cool. Yeah, they, they definitely combed most of those great guitars out. But you yeah. found one, and I'm, I'm happy that you did. Yeah, I, I mean, my timing was impeccable. You know, with that, I was. It was just. It was probably just luck. Was lucky. Well, you know, I found my Les Paul, my dream Les Paul, the one that uh, I'm actually was just showing you earlier before we started the podcast. It's a 78 uh, Gibson Pro, Les Paul Pro. I found my dream Cherry Burst because I always wanted a Cherry Burst because of Ace Frehley. Uh, I, I found this U.S. made Cherry Burst Les Paul of all places, Moscow, Russia. Wow. And I bought it right, side, you know, right on the spot. I was it was loaned to me for a guitar clinic, and I said, you know what? I'm probably not going to make any money on this guitar clinic, and probably end up owing money, but I'm buying <laughs> <guiding> this guitar.
1: <laughs> that's a win as far as I'm concerned.
0: Well, if you're playing those guitars, you're obviously playing them through some. Amp, and I, I'm, I'm just gonna go out on a limb. I'm gonna take a wild guess because if you're like me yeah. You're going Gibson Les Paul through what a Marshall JCM 800? 800.
1: I, yep, I, I like the 2205's the, the two-channel which the clean channel really was useless But the, uh, the overdrive channel with the extra preamp tube in there was phenomenal I used to I used the 50 watt versions of those. I think that the 100 watts are just a little too much it um, takes a, lot too much, a little too much to break them up, but that or the 2203 or 04, I like those too. If you have a, something to drive the front end, like a Solo Dallas, um, one of those, uh, 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 the, the old um, Ken Schaefer, Schaefer Vega, uh, emulator that 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 makes that pushes a little body familiar with that solo dallas at all
0: no you're you're going deep down the rabbit hole on me on uh, that one
1: i'm gonna i'm gonna after we're done i'm gonna i'm gonna connect you with phil the owner of solo dallas you're gonna love it the old uh shaver vega true diversity wireless systems that angus young used to use um to actually give him that it you see it, a- a- tone oh yeah it pushes it's an optical limiter and a compressor uh and a boost pedal all one and it's phenomenal actually hang on so i'll show you real quick oh boy <laughs> It's one of these guys right here. I don't know if you've seen this yet, the Storm Pedal. No, no, I haven't checked that. Yeah, I, I did their booth at NAMM in uh, in uh, January, and uh, it was really great. I mean, this thing is incredible. Um, you know, it just pushes the front end just a little more, and it just gives you that that sharper Vega. Uh, wireless the 70s Eddie van halen used to use them i mean every, everybody used to use them so it's really really well, cool. this
0: is a good this is a good reason for people that are listening to the podcast to actually go watch it on youtube now because you just showed the actual pedal that it comes from so if you want to check it out michael ha- owns one and then you can track him down i'll give you information about how to uh, get in touch with him at the end of the podcast but we're moving on because we're gibson marshall and obviously you're an ac dc fan
1: I love AC/DC. I love ac yeah. You know the all the all the disciples. You know Randy Rhodes, Eddie Van Halen, Michael Shanker. Um, it goes on and on. John Sykes. You know. And these
0: are all traditional guitar players that that you know definitely have a, a Les Paul in their arsenal. You know at least one, and most. You know probably more than that but at the same time when you go into these gigs whether it's Lou Graham or or what you were telling me you're doing this uh, a bunch of shows um some select shows this summer with bands like Slaughter you want
1: to have that classic sound right absolutely and uh you know it's essential to have that right sound that's another element too is you know we were talking earlier about what what are what's a good approach to to getting these gigs and you know, getting the sound down, it goes hand in hand with listening and, uh, you know, playing the parts and having the right sound. I mean, you'd hate to go in, you know, with a with a transistory, you know, I don't want to I don't want to offend anybody with a amp manufacturer. But you just really got to try to capture the essence of the person you're trying to you're trying to replicate.
0: Yeah, no, you're safe inside here. We're, we're pretty much a, I'm a pretty much all tube guy. I have found an amazing uh, it's an it actually is a tube rig. Um, that i use for my club recall the uh, amp one by blue guitar yes. i don't know if you checked it i don't know if you heard that it actually has a, a nanotube in it and that's the closest thing that i've found to a uh, like sort of a portable fly rig amp that I can put in my suitcase and i can replicate what my jCM 800 wants you know that's a, that's the one thing about uh, modeling amps that that it doesn't confound me. I understand the allure of having modeling amps, but they're modeling amps that I already own. <laughs> I already have a JCM 800, so and I have a Les Paul. So if you want the sound of a, JC, uh, of a JCM 800 through a Les Paul through a JCM 800, wow. I have that. Just right. go with it. I, I know it weighs a ton, but if you have if you have a, a, a great guitar tech that'll set it up, tune the instrument, and hand you a cold beer, I mean. Use
1: that, right? <laughs> you, you being a Marshall guy, what, what's your Marshall choice of uh, uh, Marshall DeJour? What's your what's the model you go to? I go to the
0: JCM 800s. I I really do, and, and and I have three of them at the moment. One of them I did a I did a wicked trade with Pat Simmons of uh, the Doobie Brothers. Yeah. So yeah. actually I actually have an original Doobie Brothers JCM 800. I traded him uh, a Sun. Uh, model T amp okay you know uh, straight across for it he liked the sound of that amp and it is a great amp it, it pushes air it's all you know it, it moves air I, I was using the, the Sun model T's when I was playing with slash in the snake pit band because oh, really? slash you know I, when you think of Marshall you almost he's very synonymous with uh, Marshall Gibson so I needed just a tiny bit different of a tone and those Sun Mar, uh, model T's did a good job for that but like i said and i'm open to suggestions i'm open to modeling amps that's why the the, the amp one and, and blue guitar sort of came into my world i needed something to to use for quick fly rigs and i'm always saying you know I, until somebody invents uh you know a better recipe for rock and roll mm-hmm. i'm sticking with you know gibsons through marshalls yeah. and i'm not not to but say I, I got my Strat, I, I got my Never Say Never Strat at Blairmo Guitars. Make me a, a really beautiful Strat, and, and it's got. But you know, I, I keep it with the humbucker in the back. Are you oh, pretty much yeah. a, a humbucker guy?
1: Yeah, humbucker guy. In fact, I've been I've been toying with the idea of getting a Tele and putting humbuckers in there, and uh, thinking about you know something like you know with a with a, uh, a heavy body and ash body maybe with a, like a, like a maple neck with a rosewood board, throwing some humbuckers buckers in there. And uh, I've been toying with that idea, but I really haven't f- quite found exactly what I want to do yet with that. But yeah, I'm, but I'm primarily, you know, custom buckers. Um, generally what the custom shop gives me, I've, I've had a lot of luck with them. I mean, I really haven't switched out. I had some opportunities to switch out for some other companies. Sure. Uh, the Doug Aldrich model, I, I really was impressed with um, some Duncan stuff. And, uh, but I, you know, I get nervous, you know, I mean, I don't want to get out there and and have to start doing surgery or, you know, have somebody change things out. When something works, I like to stick with it, you know, and and if I know it works, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, (laughs) you know.
0: Well, the good news is you're working and you're working throughout the summer. Hopefully our paths cross again because um, you're going to be doing some select shows with Slaughter. And uh, how is that? How did that whole gig come uh, about? And how is and where do you see it going?
1: You know, it, it's it's really ironic. It came through a couple of different channels. Um, I was listening to another podcast that Mark was on, and I had heard that he kind of suggested that he might be having an, having some opportunity to, to branch off while the guys that he has in his band generally are out with Vinny. And I we follow each other on social media, and I decided to send him a, a message, you know, just to see if indeed it was true. You know, I, I would love to uh, have an opportunity to talk to him about possibly doing something. And then he, he had called a friend of mine, a good friend of mine uh, uh, who was a guitar player, used to play with, with Warren, Billy Morris. I don't know if you know Billy Morris or not. Yeah, I know Billy. Yeah. Billy had called me and said, hey, you know, I just got a call from Mark asking if I could do if he could do some shows, and he really he he was obligated. With another artist or some some stuff some businesses that he has in cleveland and he recommended me and he said well mark's gonna be calling you if you're interested I said, i'm i'm totally interested because the whole it, it was ironic that you know like a few weeks before i had sent mark a message and um and i wasn't sure if he read it or not and uh so and, you know a few hours later mark gave me a call and asked me if i was available and and i told him i was available and he was like great he goes you know billy says you're the guy and i was very flattered for my friend billy for for, uh, you know, for suggesting me and recommending me. And you know, me and Mark talked and we hit it off on the phone and uh, we had a rehearsal uh, before the show down in Nashville and we went and did a show in West Virginia and it, it went great. Again, I over-prepared and uh, went there and had a four-hour rehearsal like two days before and then flew to West Virginia and did an extended sound check and whatever, some stuff. And the cool thing is, is he had the original drummer, Blas Elias, back in the band and a friend of his named Jamie from, from uh, Nashville playing bass and Bloss hadn't played with the band in about 19 or 20 years, but Jamie's been playing with him regularly when he does these fill-in shows. So that was really, really essential, having the original drummer, because he kind of kept it all together. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, but, I mean, it really was. It really felt natural. It felt really, really comfortable to me, um, not only musically and in and, and a, and a chemistry aspect as well, but just when I met them. I had never met them before. And in person, and uh, we, we had crossed paths, but it's just an acquaintance. You know, we would do a, a festival and they were on the day before, we were on the day after, or vice versa. And maybe you'd pass each other at the hotel or at the airport, or you know, transportation bringing you back and forth, whatever how, how those things work. But it was never like a, a comprehensive conversation. And uh, when I got together, I just really felt really, really comfortable. I mean, Mark's a really great guy, Bloss is great, Jimmy is great, um, very comfortable. Uh, I really enjoyed. The, the show that I did already, and I'm looking forward to the rest of the shows. I mean, it's, it's uh, the music's great. Um, I was always a fan of the music, you know, when the in the ni- early 90s when they came out, and uh, it's ironic how that all works out. So I'm hoping uh, I'm hoping things go the way they should.
0: Well, hey, I mean, at the end of the day, doesn't it all come back? to the hang you got to be prepared like you are over prepared and and you got to know got to know the songs and you, you want to show up on time yep. and you and you want to have a good attitude but it's the hang it's the hang with these musicians it's the hang with these guys that's so underrated i think sometimes about like getting a gig and then not just getting the gig but maintaining the gig hanging out with these guys
1: absolutely you know and, and that's important too is that hang and also, too, the way you interact with the fans, I think it goes hand in hand with the people you're playing with, is one thing I've always prided myself, it was a, it was a, a, always a goal of mine, is to, I always remembered how I felt when I met people that I admired, and how they made me feel, whether it was good or bad. And it's always a disappointment when you meet somebody that you idolize, and you walk away going, oh, man, what a, what a jerk that guy was, or, you know, they really didn't make me feel too good. And I always made it a point Um, to try to make a good impression on people and really let them leave with a a really good experience to go wow you know that was really cool because it reminds me of a a, when before I was touring heavily um, coming up in the business you know I wanted to learn every aspect of this business so I went to work for a concert promoter here in town and I was a production runner I worked in hospitality I set up dressing rooms I brought bus trays of alcohol and, and beverage to the bus to the stage And one of the concerts that I did was Ronnie James Deal when uh, after Vib was in the band, I think Craig Goldie was the guitar player of the band. And Ronnie um, was so warm and congenial hospitable. In fact, at the end of the show, I was putting furniture away in a storeroom and he was walking around saying thank you to everybody on the crew no matter what the capacity of your job was, and he walked in the room, and I'm putting, I'm humping furniture, trying to push it in this closet, and uh, he come up to me, and he he introduced himself again, shook my hand, asked me my name, and thanked me for the hospitality, and stood there and talked to me for a few minutes, and wanted to know a little bit about me, and that really left an impression on me, and I figured that if if he made an impact like that with me, that's something that I wanted to carry on yeah. just from the impact you made and try to make people feel whether i'm playing with them or whether i'm meeting somebody at a meet and greet or passing you know someplace reading somebody i know that just give them a few minutes of your time and really make them feel like like it was like you know like the one like the one of us you know what i mean yeah ronnie james dia one of the greats i mean there's no doubt about it we
0: were lucky enough to tour with them i think in 98 we did that i think it was the lineup you were talking about craig goldie was on guitar and exactly. and Ronnie was just singing his ass off, and every night he was just killing it. And every single night after the show, he would you know walked by our dress room. He'd say, guys, you know, and he'd say our names. And he'd say, hey, you know, Ryan, have a great show tonight, and uh, you know, go kick some ass. And years later, he still remembered our names. He still remembered my name. I saw him at a a mutual concert that we were seeing someone mutual. And I mean, it's those types of acts that go so far because they're just inspiring. And and I I feel so much the same way that you do about treating the fans um, with respect because you treat fans with respect and give them inspiration. They're going to do exactly the same for you.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you know I like to I like to refer to them as friends. Sometimes I think fans is kind of kind of you know even though they are fans I, I like to treat them and and refer to them as fa- as friends because they do become friends because a lot yeah, of people come to shows and uh, you know if it wasn't for them I mean we wouldn't get to do what we do I mean they they're really part and parcel in supporting us and you know buying our solo material buying our merch you know um, following us on social media you know championing our journey you know that they they really are are just as much a uh, uh, part of what we do is as, as as us what we do you know
0: well hopefully there's a lot of your fan friends friends yeah. fans i don't even ends. i don't know how you <laughs> would say it but yeah. uh hopefully they're listening right now but for yeah. those of you that are just become uh, a friend of michael's i want to sort of explain to you how can they get in touch find out more about michael stereotype
1: yeah, you can, you know, I'm on all the social media platforms, Instagram, um, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, um, probably some other ones. Everything is directed from my website, uh, Um, You can connect to all social media. You can go to my website, find out what's going on, tour dates, pictures. Um, you know, I'll post about, obviously, about this podcast. I'll be posting that, and so people can connect through there as well. They can... You know, see me on this podcast, go to my website and then go back and listen to the podcast again.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, not only that we'll have you back on Absolutely. and we can we can get way we can even go deeper into the rabbit hole of guitar yeah. porn and martial amp porn or whatever you yeah. want to call it but we can go down that rabbit hole again because it's been a pleasure having you on michael um yeah. i really appreciate you being in the trenches i'll look for you um somewhere if we cross paths on the road because yes. you're doing select dates with slaughter and again for all of those uh, that are watching right now on YouTube, you'll see the links in the description. If you're listening, uh, pull over your car and then uh, check out the description because you'll have all of Michael's links right there. And again, thanks for listening to another episode of In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy. It's been a good one. And you know what, Michael? For me. Hang on the line real quick and I will talk to you, but I'm going to say goodbye to our listeners right now. And...
1: Thanks again for being on In the Trenches, Michael. Thanks for having me and thanks for everybody to, for listening, man. I really appreciate it. In
0: the Trenches was Ryan Roxy.